Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power here on Q. There are very, very few artists who can say that they were able to leave the band that made them famous in the first place and then successfully reinvent themselves. Darius Rucker is one of those very, very few. He's the front man for the band Hootie and the Blowfish. Their debut album, I don't know if you remember this, uh, dropped in 1994. Cracked Rear View, it was called. It was an absolute smash hit, launched Darius and his bandmates to rock star status. It's certified 21 times platinum, won a pile of Grammys, and to this very day, it is still considered one of the best-selling albums of all time in the U.S., right up there with the likes of Michael Jackson's Thriller and Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. At one point, Hootie and the Blowfish were so massive that they were referenced on Friends. And I think that's how you know you've really made it when people are referencing you on the biggest show of the 90s. Uh, But when the band went on hiatus in 2008, Darius took a turn. He launched a solo career as a country artist. And lightning struck twice. He has dominated the country charts since his debut. He's had multiple number one songs, won solo awards, including a Grammy in 2013. He's also broken some other important records. He was the first Black artist since 1983 to hit number one on the Billboard Hot Country charts. And he did that right out of the gate with his first single as a solo artist. His sixth studio album is out now. It's called Carolyn's Boy. The only thing on my agenda is beers and sunshine, bonfires in summertime, back porch nights in South Carolina. Ain't nothing finer than me and my girls dragging up a little. That's beers and sunshine from Darius Rucker's latest album, Carolyn's Boy. Darius was also just inducted into the Hollywood Walk of Fame, so we thought. This would be a pretty nifty time to catch up with Darius and do a deep dive on his career from Hootie to now. Here's Tom Powers' conversation with Darius Rucker. Uh, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Thanks for having me, man. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm all right. You know, during the depths of... Because that song's on the record ju- that just came out. But that song came out, like, what, 2021, 2020, 2021? Yeah, it was during the pandemic. Yeah, when that came out, yeah, so it was like... It was right around then. I was in the depths of the pandemic, as we all were, and just like the saddest news all the time and just just, uh, just incredibly sad and depressed and dark. And I remember listening to that song. Like I would listen to the the local country station on my way to work during that time just to try and get a boost. And I remember listening to that song and just it gave me like a four-minute reprieve from everything. <laughs> That's really what we wanted to do when we wrote it because we wrote it like right at the beginning we were probably excuse me two months in and it was a bunch of people it was three guys that were uh three or four guys that were having we were stir crazy you know we wrote it on zoom it was written on zoom it was recorded on zoom 
it was like nobody was ever together for that record. So it was wild putting that one together. Oh, that's so crazy. I, I figured it was that it was written like before the pandemic and happened to come out at the right moment. No, but like you wrote a song called Beers and Sunshine and, and Excitement and Happiness and Friendship while we couldn't see one another during the pandemic. Well, that's because that's all we wanted to do. <laughs> you know, we wanted to we want everybody to get back to being normal. And at that point, we didn't know if it ever was going to happen. So uh, it, that that song was written all about let's yeah let's get through this one. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your journey and how we landed here with, with these with these big country songs. Um, before we talk about the the first band and all that, I don't really know a whole lot about your early like life in music. What kind of music was playing around your house when you were growing up? Oh, Al Green was uh, it was the you know he's probably the main reason that I that I make music uh, when I was a kid. Al Green was my mom's favorite. She would play him all the time, and I always say he's my idol. He was, you know, singing those those records in the early 70s, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old. Just the first time I say Al Green, all I wanted to do was sing it. So you were like an AM radio kid, country music, R&B, anything that was sort of happening, you were listening to it. What, is the dream when you're a kid to be a musician? Are you like a 10, 11-year-old going, one of these days I'm going to be a professional singer? Oh, man, I was a five or six-year-old saying that. Really? You know, oh, yeah. I used to perform for my mom and her friends when I was like five or six. You know, they'd be having their leisure time, having some drinks, and I'd come in and do my Al Green, you know. Get my little salt and pepper shakers, my microphone, and and sing and that. And that would be uh, that. Ever since then, I would say that's what I wanted to do. The story I heard is that when Hootie and the Blowfish start, that all starts because you're at the University of South Carolina. You're wearing the shirt right now, by the way, and you're singing in the shower. Is that the story? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I went to school. I was a journalism major, and and, and uh, you know, still had dreams of of. of of being, but I'd never been in a band or anything. I, I, I never, you know, it, it just you from South Carolina, nothing had ever happened. And uh, I was my sophomore year in college, and I thought everybody had gone to class. It was like nine in the morning or something like that. And uh, I went into our shower. We had the prison showers, you know, no, no curtains, just a whole bunch of shower heads. And I, I was in there, and I was singing. Uh, I was singing Billy Joel's "Honesty" is what I was singing, actually. Yeah, because I was really into that 52nd Street record. How does that one go? Honesty, such a lonely word. Oh, yeah. Everyone is so untrue. The real, the ballad. Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm singing it. I mean, I, I don't think anybody's on the hall, so I'm belting it. I mean, I'm, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I'm Carnegie hauling it, man. I'm giving it all I got. And uh, come out, you know, I finish in the shower and, and they dry off and. I'm walking back to my room and Mark Bryan, who's guitar and hoodie, was standing outside the bathroom and was like, Was that you? I was like, Yeah, that, that was me. You know, and uh he was like, Let's, you know, I play guitar, let's get together and see if we know any of the same songs. And that night, Hootie and Bullfish started. So you were starting to know the same songs. So you kind of started as a cover band. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When we first, you know, our first year. A year and a, a year and a half, two years together. You know, as covers, 
And we wrote a couple things early, but nothing that, that stuck. That's for sure. You know, Springsteen says that that's important. Uh, or, or Stephen Van Zandt from Springsteen's band, from the E Street Band, he says the only reason that the E Street Band worked out as well as it did is because they had a year or more put into playing covers. So they kind of knew what worked before they started putting their own original songs out. Oh, yeah. I mean, we before we when we started putting original songs in, we were already getting a good following in the Carolinas and you know, we knew how to work a crowd. You know, we we we, we you know we were out there figuring it out. And it was coming to us, and the crowds are getting bigger and bigger every time. Every time I look at you, I go blind. Every time I look at you, I go blind. Every time I look at you, I go blind. Every time I look at you, I go blind. I remember, I'll just be honest with you because I want to be honest with you. I remember, so you, I, I did I did this like red carpet with them thing with you like 10 years ago. It was like for the Canadian Country Music Awards. It was just for like 10 seconds. But I remember the Universal rep coming up to me and looking at me and going, hey man, before you talk to Darius, you should know one thing. He's not Hootie. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay, you got it, man. Sure, I, and don't call him Hootie. And I was like, you got it. I won't, I won't. Don't worry about it. I don't, I'm sure that wasn't you. I'm sure that was just their thing. Yeah, yeah. Was that on your mind? Because for people who don't know Hootie and the Blowfish is the name of the band, you're not. The, was that on your mind at all when you named the band? That's the thing that still kills me as the guy who named the band, that I never thought that that would happen. I, 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 I was, until it started happening, I didn't even think it. I was like, that's just the name of the band. It's like Mata Hoop, you know? Yeah. But uh yeah, it happened. <laughs> and uh, you know, at this point, I don't care what you call me. I'm just glad you still know who I am. <laughs> I feel, you know, doing this for forty years. Okay, so I'm not the first to do that. I'm not the first to call you Hootie. Oh no, that bother me. Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. You know, the, the interaction went well and everything, everything was all right. <laughs> um, I, I want to listen to some music together. That is Hold My Hand off of Hootie and the Blowfish's first album, Cracked Rear View. I just want to read some stats for this cover band from South Carolina. That's That album went 21 times platinum, hit number one in the Billboard charts five times over, and to this day is still one of the best-selling albums of all time. How does it feel to be hearing those, those stats back at you? Oh, man, it's crazy. You know, I mean... Yeah, even though we're much older than I remember when we started, and if you had told us we were going to do that, no one would have believed it. You know, 21 million records. And, 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 you know, it was, they're great stats. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, you're, 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 we're really proud of those. But, you know, it was a record. It was the right, right place at the right time. And, you know, people still love it. You know, uh, I think, you know, with the streaming and everything, it's it still does so well. It's just one of those records that, I, I don't know, you know, you have to have to respect it, I guess. When when did you guys get a sense that this was getting bigger than just cover shows and this was this was starting to get bigger than just putting out a few, you know, maybe a bit of regional success? Oh goodness. You know, after we got signed, 
we knew we knew we were doing something when we got signed because all the labels came after us because they heard about us, you know, through record stores because uh, we were selling records in mom and pop stores like crazy. You were like an indie band. You were one of those stories where you were selling indie records and labels found out about you. Oh yeah, I mean, no one, you know, it wasn't like they were looking for us. We, uh, you know, grunge was king. Nobody was looking for this little pop rock band from South Carolina. You know, and uh, but we were just selling records. We sold like sixty five thousand records of Gucci Pop, our EP before you know, and uh, it was just out of the back of our band and out of mom and pop stores that we do over the years, and people just came looking. They wanted to see who was this Hootie the Blowfish band, and they you know all tried to sign us. That song um, "Hold My Hand" ends up becoming a, a, a massive tune. Do you remember writing that song? What you wrote that song about? Oh goodness, I. Uh, the first time I heard Hold My Hand, we were looking for a drummer and Sony was playing with another, with a couple other bands and he came in to, uh, he came in to rehearse to, to, we were playing with like eight drummers this day to find a new drummer. And Sony came in and played with us and it was great. And then after we played, he said, uh, you know, I, I want to write music. And we were like, that's why we're looking for a drummer so we can write music and, you know, go out there. And he said, I got a song. And we were like, oh, okay, play us your song. And it was Hold My Hand. With a little love and some tenderness We'll walk upon the water We'll rise above the mist With a little peace and some harmony We'll take the world together We'll take them by the hand What's it about? It's a protest song, man. It's just about how, you know, grunge was so big at the time. I think it was it, it was just it was it was just a song about, you know, uplifting and, and, and you know how you, know, you can't work stuff out, you know, with with love. I, I think that's what he wrote it about. Yeah, and and you know, it was it was such a positive song at the right time. How do I put this? Uh, again, I hope that you take this in, in the in the way I mean it. Is that I've, someone who's like following your career? Someone who did you know did some research getting ready for this? You seem to have a very fair mindedness and a realistic view of like the music business. You, you you seem to be the kind of person who understands the the music business really well. And what I mean by that is, I've heard you be really open. A lot of people would be like really devastated. Or, or I just would never ask them about like, hey, the band had a decline in popularity. I would never bring it up. But I've just heard you talk about it really matter-of-factly. That like, hey, at a certain point, the Hootie and the Blowfish, the record stopped selling as well, or people weren't as into it. Absolutely. At a certain point, the, you know, it was amazing. I mean, you know, even the label wasn't cool to us. And we had made them a fortune, <laughs> you know, an absolute fortune. But, uh, you know, it's part of the business. What do you mean the label wasn't cool with you? I mean, you don't have to get into specifics, oh, but like. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I've said, I've said this before that I know what a good label, what a label that, that, that loves you and respects you is. And I know what a label that, you know, just is throwing you away is. I've, we've, we've lived bo- I've lived both those lives, you know. You know, getting you to play radio shows, you know, because uh, you're still hot. You're still playing, you know, putting so many people in the buildings. 
and you play a radio show because you got a new single out, and you know, then the next day your label calls the radio station, tells them to stop playing your record and play some, you know, play somebody else's. You know, that that's crazy stuff you have to deal with in this business. But it happens. What what was behind it? Was it that you were you were? Oh, I, I just think they were done. You know, they didn't want to work with the Blowfish anymore because they didn't want to work with us in the first place. There were people at the the label that said if you put a correct review out, it would that Atlantic would be the laughing stock of the music business. That was actually said. But, <laughs> was, yeah. But why? I mean, the songs were the songs because it were wasn't good. grunge. It wasn't grunge. It wasn't what was happening at the time. We have to stick. You know, everybody wanted to stick with the uh, the same thing. You know, you know, you know, grunge was king. Yeah. You know, everybody everybody was looking for their Nirvana. You know, nobody was looking for Hootie the Blowfish. That's tough, man. It was tough. It was tough. It was tough, you know, but uh, it's the business, man. It's, it's the business. And and after that, are you thinking I'm going to, because I think you went into some sports world for a while. After that, are you thinking I'm done with music? Nah, we were playing. We never stopped playing until we quit. You know, we never stopped playing until I went country. We, we were always on the road. I mean, we were always putting, you know, people in the buildings. It was It was just, you know, we didn't have a record label we could depend on and, and we didn't have... Yeah, you know, it, 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 like like I've said before, it was so big, something was about to happen. <laughs> are you? It was so big. You know, those are you, we so are you Catholic? Because that's something I would say. <laughs> 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 this is so big, something bad is about to happen. <laughs> you know, but you know, here we are. You know, that that was yeah. You know, it's been thirty years since that record came out, man. So you know, I think I did all right. Tell me about the decision to go to country. Uh, I've always, I was trying to get the guys to do a country record and everything. Why? And then, because I was so, I was, I'm, I mean, I was always so into country music. You know, I, I loved it. You know, I used to play tough. That's why I think the, there's so much a country influence on a lot of our records. It's because I played so much of it in the van and in the bus and, and everything. And uh, I always said I was going to make a country record someday. And the day that Sony came in, and said he didn't want to play anymore. He didn't want to be a touring band anymore. I mean, I just said I'm going to go to Nashville. I didn't think, get me wrong, I didn't think this was going to happen. But I said I was going to go to Nashville and make a record. Well, I mean, it, there's, there's parallels there, right? Because you tell me about the, like, hey, there were people who, there were people who, when Hooting the Blowfish get signed, they're thinking it's not going to do anything, and then it ends up becoming really big. I read a, I, I read a quote from you from PBS NewsHour from when you went country. And you said something like, I was being told that the audience would never accept a country singer that looked like me. I just wanted to make country records. And my biggest goal with my first record was that they'd let me make another one. Can you tell me more about that? That's that's the truth. You know, I mean, uh, you know, when I went in, when I first of all, when I got a record deal, I was shocked because I, I just didn't think I could get a record deal. I mean, who was going to give the pop, the black pop singer, you know, who's had a great run, you know, who's going to give them a country record deal, a real one, you know, with, with capital, you know, but Mike Duncan believed in me as a country singer and went after me and did it. And, uh, you know, now I still didn't expect anything. I, I, the only thing that made me happy was I, that I had somebody who was going to pay for my record, you know, and, uh, I was cool. <laughs> and so we made the record and I went out on a radio tour. I went to 110 radio stations, man. And there were times, a few guys who, and I always preface this by saying, they're some of my best friends in the business now, always hooking me up. If I need that extra play, that accidental play to get to number one, 
you know, real good friends of mine. I love when I see them, but they said to me straight up, you know, I don't think my audience will ever accept the black country. Like, I mean, it was said just like that. And that's where the business was at the time. And, you know, I, I was like, okay. You know, and, and they were all said the same thing. I love the record. Go to play the record. You know, I still don't know if it's going to work. When you say, I said, okay, like they say to you, hey, my audience is never going to accept a, a black country singer. You're saying, okay, but then then what are you saying? Are you saying, I'm going to... I mean, all, all of them have said the same thing. I'm going to play the record. Love the record. You know, I just don't think it's going to work. For me, I was like, okay, let's see. You know, play the record and I'll get on the road. Let's see what happens. P- putting hours in. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think that first year we... We were out almost 200 days or something. It was crazy. I mean, that's what Jerry Seinfeld says that, hey, that the, a life in the arts seems like a, he said, like, a life in the arts seems like a game of inspiration, but it's a game of tonnage. It's a game of just yes. putting hours and hours and hours. So you you, you say that it's because of the just the amount of sheer hours you put in that you were over able to overcome what he was talking about there. Oh, I think it's more than that. I, I think we had a really good song. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think, um, you know, I, we had the push of a major record label, you know, and, and I think as much as, you know, Hootie and Bowfish was a hindrance, it also helped me get into a lot of doors yeah. that I probably wouldn't have got into. Yeah. And, and so, and and once once they started, once, once radio stations started playing it, they realized that nobody cared. You know, because not, it wasn't like we didn't pull a Charlie Pride and say it wasn't me or anything. You know, I was in the video. I, you know, it was obvious. You know, I was on the cover of the record. It was obvious that, uh, you know, it was an African American guy singing these songs. But uh, most people just didn't care. They, it was a good song and they liked it. And that's what ended up happening. Speaking of Charlie Pride, I don't think I don't think about it goes to number one on, country, on the country chart, making you the first black artist to hit number one since Charlie Pride did in 1983 did you have awareness of that like what did that mean to you i didn't have any awareness of how long it was because i thought trini triggs you know or reese palmer or one of those guys would have had a top 25 at least but uh when it hit the top 25 people started talking about it i was like wow and uh, yeah i didn't think it was 25 years between between african-american hits but uh you know it was it was cool to see it happen and it's cooler to see what's happened since That is Only Want to Be With You by Hootie and the Blowfish. Before that, you heard the first part of Tom Power's conversation with Darius Rucker, who, as Tom apparently learned a while ago, is not named Hootie. Uh, More with him after the break, including the story of how Darius ended up covering Wagon Wheel and what it's like to have a song get so big that it's banned from being played at certain bars. Okay, stay with us. I'm Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom Power. Q is back in a bit. 
Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power here on Q. The song you're hearing is Darius Rucker with his cover of Old Crow Medicine Show and Bob Dylan's Wagon Wheel. This song has become a modern-day country standard. You hear it a lot. And it has become a calling card for Darius Rucker. So when Tom got the chance to talk to him, he wanted to know how Darius ended up covering the song in the first place and whether he ever got the chance to talk to Bob Dylan about the song. Have a listen. Oh, goodness. This is a great story. I was making my second, uh, third record, and uh, uh, my daughter was having a uh, talent show at her high school. She was going to school in Baltimore, and so I left Nashville to go. I left the studio to go to Baltimore, and I'm sitting there, and it's it's a, it's a school like everybody's singing, everybody's doing all this stuff. And in between every third or four act, there's a band that plays a song, and it's like a the faculty band. It's like some teachers and the janitor and vice principal, and they're out there playing songs. And so I'm sitting there, and at one point they start playing Wagon Wheel, and I don't I've known this song for years. But, you know, the old Crow version is such a bluegrass song. I'm headed down south to the land of the pines. I'm thumbing my way to North Carolina. Staring up the road and pray to God I see headlights. I never even thought about it in the country way. It was just a bluegrass song. And, but this band was playing it very country with drums and everything. And I, I was like, wow, that sounds really cool. And so we cut it. So I mean, it, it, not many songs get bigger than that. No, no, that song, uh, All Over the World, that song did okay for me. I mean, that song was, uh, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's still you know, does so well. It recurs to stuff. It's just that it, it's, it's a, it's, you know, it's a country classic, I guess. So here's question two. I, I, I used to play that song a lot. I used to play that song back when I was touring, um, you know, or I play it around like family gatherings. I heard it first time when Old Crow did it on Conan and, you know, and I, I, I would sing it. And now, so friends of mine who were still playing the pubs and bars in, in Canada have told me that they're, so there are bars where you have to play it. There are bars where there's a sign that says, like, if yeah. you're here playing covers tonight, here are the songs you got to play. It's like one of three of these five and one of them is Wagon Wheel. But they have told me there's also bars in Canada and the U.S. where it's banned. You're oh, in- absolutely. <laughs> because so many bands played it. <laughs> you know, do you know how big your song has to be to be bar in the bar? Do you know how big it has to be? <laughs> seriously yeah you know yeah, how yeah. big your song has to be i'm cool with that <laughs> i gotta play it every night i'm cool with that 
I love that. I love that because it's banned. It's banned from some bars in Canada and the U.S. because it it's so it ubiquitous. Is. You're thinking to yourself, that's how big it is. That's a compliment. Oh, oh that's exactly a, that's a compliment. Well, well, you know, no one says a song sucks because the song doesn't suck. It's a great song. If it wasn't a great song, it wouldn't be so big. It's a compliment that, that people are playing it so much that they're saying you can't play it anymore. I know people ask you about your relationship with Old Crow uh, and, and and Wagon Wheel, which, by the way, is really positive. Like, you guys get played the, the song a bunch together. But Ketch wrote that song, Ketch Secor from Old Crow Medicine Show, wrote that song based on an old Bob Dylan song. Have you ever come across Bob? Have you ever talked to Bob about Wagon Wheel? No, I've never talked to Bob about Wagon Wheel. I'd love to. I'd love to. To shake his hand and go, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> he made a fortune on that song. <laughs> Walking to the south out of Roanoke, I caught a trucker out of Philly, had a nice long talk. But he's ahead of west from the Cumberland Gap to Johnson City. Tennessee, I gotta, I gotta move on before the sun I hear my baby calling my name and I know that she's the only one And if I die in Raleigh, at least I will die free So rock me mama like a wagon wheel Rock me mama in a way you feel That was not what I was expecting you to say at all uh, you're welcome for the below ground pool, Bob. You're very. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's talk. Let's talk a little bit. <laughs> that tickles me. Let's talk about the new record. It's called Carolyn's Boy. Uh, it's your sixth record. So I know Carolyn was your mother. Yes. Um, but I, I was reading something when I was getting ready for this that you like channeled her in the making of this record. I guess first off, just tell me a little bit about your mom. Ah, uh, she was awesome. She was a single mom. You know, she was a nurse. She worked a lot. She was always there. She was funny. She was loving. She she had the voice of an angel. She sang so much better than I ever could. Oh, really? And she, oh, yeah. She had a voice of an angel. And she was just, she was my my rock, you know? Anytime I wanted to, she's the, probably the reason I'm here because she made me believe I could be here. She made me believe that I could make it in this business no matter what people were saying. And, uh, you know, she died young. You know, but uh, she was she was an amazing impact on every life she touched. Let's uh, let's listen to a, a track from the record. It don't matter if you're married. It don't matter if you settle down. It don't matter if you're five kids deep on a dead end street in the middle of town. I don't wanna be your lover. I don't wanna be your man. I just wanna sit and talk to you till the day is through, like we're thirteen. That is Sarah from Darius Rucker's new album, Carolyn's Boy. Tell me a little bit about that song. I wrote that song with Ed Sheeran. And uh, I was in England writing with Ed, and uh, he kept asking about my, my about my fifth grade girlfriend. He just kept asking about her. And uh, what? Why? At, I don't know. Then at the end of the day, he was like, I got this idea. I want to write a song about your fifth grade girlfriend. And we wrote Sarah. Did you hold on? Did you were you talking about your fifth grade girlfriend, or was he just sitting down and going like, "Did you ever have a girlfriend?" No, in fifth we grade? On, on the very first song, on the very first song we wrote, we were trying to do this thing in the bridge, and he was like, "Darius, who's who's your first love?" And I, I just said, "My fifth grade girlfriend, Sarah." You know, and, and it didn't work in that song. And he, you know, we'd be writing, and he'd ask me something, and I and I'd go, "Why are you asking me this?" Then at the end of it, he wanted to write a song about it, and so we did. Has Sarah? Has real life Sarah heard the song? 
I have no idea. I haven't seen her in years. <laughs> she didn't reach out or anything? I haven't seen her in years, man. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great radio if I had her right here? That would be awesome radio. <laughs> that would if she had, that would be pretty incredible. Sorry. <laughs> I don't, I don't. Right. I don't. I don't have her. Uh, let's listen to one more track off the record. We're all in, all in, all in this together. You do you, I'll do me. Same kind of different ain't a bad thing. Live your truth, dream your dreams. Everybody got their own harmony to sing. Don't matter if you're big city living or a little more cold and small town. We all got a ticket on this bigger rock spinning and the ride ain't slowing. That's in this together by my guest uh, Darius Rucker. That reminds me of a little, a, a little bit of, of "Hold My Hand," and let me explain what I mean there. Is that like I find so I've been like I'm a big fan of country music. I've been listening to country music for a long time and looking at it in country music for a long time. And it seems like right now there are sort of like two prevailing trends in in country music. So one is sort of I don't know, kind of a divisive style of 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 writing about country music. Maybe it's like the Aldine song uh, "Try That in a Small Town" or something like that. And then there's like you. Tim McGraw has a bit of that. Um, Brad Paisley had that. Was that Brad Paisley who had that song? We're all in the same boat. Fishing yep. at the same. Yeah. There's a, and then there's your school, that school where it's, um, it's a little bit more uplifting. If it, it's a little less about being divisive and a little bit more about being inclusive. Am I onto something here? Yeah. You know, you probably are onto something, you know, but for me, that's just how I live my life. You know, I, I'm all inclusive. You have to really do something really, really, really crazy to make me not like you. So, uh, you know, that's just how I live. And so I sing the songs that mean something to me. Right, right. There's a, it sort of reflects your own, as opposed to like being divisive, as opposed to being overly political, it sort yeah. of reflects your own, your own sort of perspective on the world. Yeah, you know, politics are too divisive, man. I just don't get into them, you know? I mean, they're, they're, you know, I just, you know, I love this country and I love, you know, the the way we live. And, and I don't want to do politics, but I just want to sing songs about being happy. Or unless I sing a song about being sad, then I want to sing that. <laughs> I want to get that in a shirt that says, I don't want to do politics. I just want to sing songs about being happy. Um, yeah. well, I'm going to ask you a hard question to close out and things out on. Okay. Do you think at all? I know you. I know you think about. You just want to sing songs that are happy and not sing songs that are sad. But at this stage, whether it be in 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 pop music or in country music, either as a as a black artist or as an artist in general, it's a tremendous legacy that you've left. Do you think at all about your legacy? Yeah. No. No, not really, because I don't know. I always feel like I got so much more to do. You know, I, I got to be honest with you. I got when I got the star on the on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, that made me sit back for a second and go, "Wow, you know, wow." And so that, but you know, the next day I put that aside. And I'm like, "What are we gonna do next?" You know, talking about manager, but what I want to do next because, uh, you know, I just think I got a few more things I want to do before it's all written. But I mean, you're, you're at that stage of your career now. I don't want to argue with you. We're being talked about as groundbreaking. I mean, there are there are not many 
black artists in pop rock music that have had the success that you've had? I would say none of them have. There are not many black artists in country music that have had the same level of success that you have. These are not industries that necessarily reward black artists. You've gone number one in both, had big success in both. You're getting talked about as sort of a groundbreaking artist. Well, well, when I hear those conversations, <laughs> maybe think, you know, I, I guess I don't hear that stuff, you know. I guess, and, and you you also have to realize, you know, my mindset is probably still, you know, 1988, 1998, 1999, Hootie the Blowfish, where, you know, everything was happening with Atlantic and, and you know, you know, people, the, you know, the backlash was happening. So, you know, I, I, I think I remember the negative more than the positive. So I'm just, I'm just working, man. That's a, that's a, I mean, it's a, it's worked out for you. Yeah. It's doing all right. I'm doing all right. And for, the bills. and for Bob. He did all right. He did all right, too. <laughs> Darius Rucker, thanks so much for the time, and congratulations on everything, and, and thanks for talking to us a little bit about your career today. Oh, thank you, man. Great talking to you. And now don't tell you near enough Just how much I'm missing us And making that temperature rise But girl, I'm gonna show you tonight That is Fires Don't Start Themselves from Darius Rucker's latest album, Carolyn's Boy. Before that, you heard Tom Powers' conversation with Darius Rucker, country music star and frontman of Hootie and the Blowfish. His sixth solo album, sixth, wow, uh, Carolyn's Boy is out now. He's also heading out on tour with Hootie and the Blowfish this summer. For more on that, you can head on over to Hootie.com. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Check this out. I played my hands up. There was nothing left to play. Chance after chance make my heart beat safe. You know when a great songwriter ends up choosing to sing someone else's song, it must have made a really good impression on them. That's kind of how the musician Lisa ended up working on this new song of hers called In the End. It was mostly written by someone else, but when she heard it, something in the words took hold of her and she couldn't let it go. Lisa is from Toronto. She's been making waves with her smooth brand of R&B. And she caught up with Tom to talk about her new song and also to give him an update on her career situation. Because the last time Lisa was on cue, she was juggling a couple of different careers. That's where they started. If I'm not mistaken, and I may be because I often am, the last, the last time you were on, you were sort of balancing a day job and music, weren't you? That is correct. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm a nurse, so I was working as a nurse. I just finished school, um, and I think when I first came on cue, I think that was after my second single, and I sang my song "Morning Glory" and "Here to Stay." Here to Stay was my first single, um, but yeah, I was working as a nurse while balancing music. Uh, w- w- did did that change? I well, right now I'm doing full time music, so yeah. T- tell me about that decision. I find that seems to be a. a an important moment in an artist's life is when they sort of take the leap. For sure. I think um, 
firstly, I'm so blessed and so grateful to be able to do music full time because yeah, you're already familiar with this industry, but um, I started doing music, I guess, actually going to the studio and recording while I was still in school. And I knew music was something I always wanted to do since I was a kid. I just never really knew how. So going to school was just something that was really important to me and to my family. Um, so that was never a question. It was like, I was for sure always going to school. And so when the opportunity came to be like, oh, I'm able to actually support myself fully with just my music career, I was like, I'm going to just sort of dive in completely into what I absolutely love and that's music. So it was, it wasn't a super hard decision um, for me, but I feel very grateful to have been given the choice. Um, I bet there's a lot of nurses in Toronto rooting for you these days. I hope so. I mean, honestly, I could go on forever about how nurses are so, they're so amazing. They work so hard and I just feel like they deserve so much more respect, so much more pay, so much more appreciation. So I could go on forever advocating for nurses. You, um, uh, this, this new record that's going to come out and this new song we're going to play, uh, produce, or I should say, uh, with Akil Henry, uh, one of the finest Canadian producers of our time, uh, winner of the Juno for, for producer, uh, of the year, work with folks like Tony Braxton, uh, work with folks like John Legend. Um, tell me something about working with him. Tell me something I might not know about working with him. Honestly, I feel super fortunate because... I met Akil when I barely had any music out at all. I think I met him after my first or second song. And then since then, we've been consistently building um, and growing and putting out songs that I'm incredibly proud of. And I think one of the things that I really appreciate about working with him is that he always pushes me to do things I either haven't done or things that'll test me or challenge me to be better as a songwriter, as, as a singer. I think having someone who you can be very honest with in the studio and feel comfortable being vulnerable with while also not being afraid to show your flaws and having someone support you along your journey of like pushing you forward is like such an amazing thing. And I find that with all my collaborators and I feel very incredibly lucky to have that. You mentioned vulnerability there. I I, I get that in, in, in this song in the end. Um, but I don't want to say too much more about because I want you to do it. Tell me a little bit about the circumstances in which this song came from this song it's actually quite interesting because this is the first song where a lot of it was i want to say like the majority of the songwriting had been done prior to me even hearing it for the first time one of my favorite songwriters actually wrote the song um the majority of the song and i heard it and i was like oh my god I've never, this is the first time I, I guess I, I've, I've taken a song or a song was given to me because um, the majority of the time I just write my own music. Yeah. Um, but I heard the lyrics and it just really resonated with me lyrically, melodically. And I felt like the production was literally my personality in a sound. I was like, this song is me. And I think what the song was being written about, I felt like I was going through that exact same thing. And I was like, I need this song. This song is my life. And so I, I finished writing it. And then, yeah, now it's out. Do you, do you about to come out. Do you feel like telling me what you mean by uh, what what the person was going through this in the song and me was going through the exact same thing? I I definitely, just like the lyrics, I feel like the lyrics are very, just like when you have any type of a relationship or a situation or whatever the case is. And it's very hard for you to be around that person because you're susceptible to falling back in love with them. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling. I'm the type of person where, I mean, people can probably gather from the rest of my songs. It's really hard for me to like let go of people or things that I've loved um, in the past or whatever the case is. And so I think being around those things, you know, 
it's it's easy to fall back in love into old patterns and bad habits, et cetera, et cetera. But this is kind of just a fun, vulnerable song to me. How are you? I feel like I'm I'm talking to you right at the precipice of something very big happening for you. Uh, how are you feeling in this moment right now? Uh, thank you so much for saying that. I am really excited. I feel like I put out my project in 2021 and I was so grateful for all the doors that it opened for me. And then for the past two years, I've been really working on this project and I'm really proud of it and really excited about it. I'm so excited about all the visuals. This first music video for the song that's coming out, um, we did it. It's, it's a tennis themed video because tennis has become my new thing. You're into um, tennis. And we got... I love tennis. I'm not very good. Yeah. And I promise I'm not being humble when I say that I'm really truthfully not very good, right. but it's just a nice escape for me. And so we got to collaborate with Venus Williams's um, clothing brand for the actual tennis part of the video, which was really cool. And I think I'm just really excited for people to see the visuals and listen to the music and sort of hear a continuation of the story that I began telling in 2021. Are you going to get to meet Venus? I hope so. Uh, that is a dream. I, I've been obsessed with the Williams sisters since I was a child. So Love them both. I think I think you got a good shot. Uh, would you do me? Would you do me the courtesy of telling us who you are, and and introducing the song? Of course. Uh, my name is Lisa. I'm from Toronto, Canada, and this upcoming song is called "In the End," and it's the first single off of my upcoming project. Keep you at bay, cause I know how I am around you. Too comfortable and end up falling Yeah Say things out of context But you're still my muse But I'm a lifetime away from all in Lightning struck once and now it's over Feelings overdue as the older That's Toronto's Lisa with a new song called In the End. It's out now, and you can look for a new project from her this spring. That's it for Q Today. Tomorrow on the show, Daisy Ridley's first major role was in the Star Wars universe. It doesn't get bigger than that. Multi-million dollar universe. But now she is chasing work that feeds her creatively, no matter the size. She will tell you about her latest indie film. It's called Sometimes I Think About Dying. As you might have guessed from the title, it addresses mental health. That is coming up on Q. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. I'll see you next time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.